Have you heard about Slate Day? We're putting together a whole full day of live podcasts and fun experiences in New York on June 8th. I'll be there talking to Joel Anderson, the new host of Slow Burn's third season of The Murders of Biggie and Tupac. We'll talk about our work and what's ahead on our shows. This special conversation is free for Slate Plus members and those with all access passes. For more information and tickets, go to slate.com slash live. I was maybe seven or eight, and I thought it would be the coolest thing to ride on the main road on the yellow line <laughs> and go and try to keep up with the cars mm. on my bike. And then I felt somebody yank me from my shirt, turned around, and guess who it was? It was my dad. <laughs> and he pulled his car over and said, go inside right now. Petrified, I did. And I hid in our closet. I remember standing there, and I hear him looking and yelling my name, trying to find me, and then nothing. And then footsteps, louder and louder. And I got so scared, I fell. I fell into the box of Legos. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a tall box, and I got stuck in it with my thighs on my chest, and I couldn't get out of this box of Legos. And he opens and he sees me and he, you know, gave my feet a good whipping with his belt. Uh, I never did that again. That's, that's for sure. Funny. I think even today I wouldn't ride my bike on the yellow line of any street. <laughs> this is Mohammed Ismail talking. He's my big brother, one of four Ismail kids. I'm the youngest. As with most kids we knew, our parents would hit us when they felt like we deserved it. With belts, slippers, wooden spoons, shoes, plates. My mom could toss a slipper up from her foot and catch it and shoot it from the kitchen into the living room and hit me with pinpoint accuracy all in one motion. It's like she had superpowers. And I'll be honest, being afraid of getting hit probably did keep me from doing a lot of the bad stuff that my friends were doing. I don't feel traumatized by it. Actually, it made me feel tough to be able to take it. But lately, I've been rethinking that because of something that happened with Muhammad. I'm Eamon Ismail, and you're listening to Man Up. On this show every week, we tell honest stories about our lives and investigate where we get our ideas about what it means to be a man. So last year, Muhammad's wife, Khulud, gave birth to two twin boys, Adam and Ali. And all at once, my brother went from being the toughest guy that I knew to the one with the biggest heart. I always looked up to him, And I was maybe a little afraid of him too, which is why I was so surprised that he's so soft with his kids. It makes me wonder if I took the wrong lessons from our home life growing up and why Muhammad seems determined to reject what we all knew. Every weekend, my family gets together for some lunch at Muhammad's house in Edison, New Jersey. It's chill vibes usually, but sometimes the kids turn into a little bit of a handful. One time I looked over my shoulder and I noticed that baby Ali had crawled over to my boot and was seconds away from giving it a lick. So my instincts kicked in. I shouted, Hey Ali, no. And then I was immediately scolded. You told me not to talk to your kids like that. Well, I don't remember it. (laughs) No way. (laughs) Twin dad life. Um, See, there's, it's not about who's yelling. It's about any yelling at all. Hearing Muhammad, big tough Muhammad, say this felt like it was coming out of nowhere. We both grew up in a house where yelling was a constant. 
people, especially children, really young children, are sponges. They learn the way to behave from the way others around them are behaving. And so if they see that the way to get somebody to pay attention is to raise your voice and get aggressive, that's if that happens often enough, they're going to think that's how you communicate. And I think it's really important to show them the right way to communicate, show them the right way to behave, and most importantly, uh, how to get along. As kids, Mohammed and I were definitely yelling at each other to communicate about pretty much everything. Happiness, yelling. Anger, yelling. Fear, that's yelling too. But now that we're older, neither of us turned out to be that aggressive. So I'm wondering what changed for Muhammad. I have a very vivid memory. And I remember coming home from school into just like a shouting match. Every single person was screaming about something. <laughs> and I, I wanted to so bad to just turn around and leave. I mean, one thing, if you, if you look deeply at your three older siblings, there's one thing I think we all have in common. Uh, and it's the same thing is true for Bubba and the same thing is true for Mama. We all want to be in control. None of us believe in the word no. <laughs> if you ever tried to tell Ahmed, you probably shouldn't do that. What do you mm -hmm. expect would happen? Ahmed is the other older brother. He and Muhammad are only a year apart, and we're both very tough kids. Top tier in high school varsity sports, they both worked as lifeguards every summer. At home, they took turns body slamming me, practicing the wrestling moves they'd just seen on WWE. And when they weren't doing that, they were battling each other. Ahmed got so mad, he started swinging the Nintendo controller <laughs> and hit me in my eyebrow. A quarter of an inch lower, I would have lost an eye. Yeah. Uh, I went to the hospital that night and got five stitches, and I still have a scar today. Are you worried at all about your babies now? They're kind of growing up in a similar situation. Yeah, an identical scenario. No, I'm not worried about that. I think competition is, is healthy for them. I think that, you know, they can't be babied all the time. Uh, and to be clear, they are babies. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it's, it's already happening. And we don't get in the middle of that. They need to figure it out for themselves. My kids will fight over anything electronic. Put anything electronic in front of them, and they will fight to the death. Now that sounds like the house that I remember. We'd fight to the death for something as petty as sitting in the front seat every time we got in the car. We fought for respect. And because Muhammad was the strongest and the oldest, he usually won. Uh, at least when we were growing up, you were honestly uh, like a great role model. I looked up to you in a very big way. Thanks, man. Mostly, uh, mostly for the gigantic muscles. I'm not going to use the word head, but... Wow. Uh, I don't know if that's a compliment or <laughs> an insult, but I'll take it. Just, just hear me out. Hear me out. I remember being way too small for it. I might have been like seven or eight years old trying to like lift the weights just so I can like be like you. You know, for me, looking at you as a, as a younger brother, I remember seeing somebody extremely talented and... Uh, with tons and tons of potential, but would rather spend it playing Zelda. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Time well spent, man. Time well spent. Uh, and memorizing all the Ocarina of Time codes. Mm. Uh, and it kind of rubbed me the wrong way, and I think the reason why it rubbed me the wrong way was 
because I saw that you had this tremendous talent that none of us had, and you didn't even recognize it yourself. Muhammad would get so angry at me. We shared a room at one point, and he saw how much time I'd waste listening to music or just bullshitting. So he tried to intervene. He'd hide my games, physically try to get me to sit and do my homework. He was the older brother, so he saw himself as having responsibility to discipline me. And back then, he did not rule out violence. So for me, it was all about trying to get you to recognize yourself, to see yourself, to spend the time to understand yourself. And I would say at, at points I was really, really hard on you, taking your video games away or <laughs> hiding the controller or physically trying to get you to sit down and study for the SATs. Wait, did you're the one who took that controller? Um, no. <laughs> the truth is coming out. The truth. The truth will set you free. So, I mean, I think just, you know, uh, it rubbed me the wrong way that you were this tremendously talented person who didn't know your own talent. And I think it was, I felt like, you know, Ahmed and Hiba were also very, very talented people. And they recognized that. And they worked at it. And they worked on their strengths. And they worked on their weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And I saw you as not. And so for me, as, as the older brother and seeing you as my younger brother, uh, I wanted you to feel that same level of empowerment that your life is yours to shape and make of it as you please. Uh, it was really hard for, you, for me to get you to do stuff for even a minute at a time. Oh, I'm hungry. Oh, I want to shower. Oh, I need to poop. Oh, I'm hungry again. Oh, I'm tired. I'm going to sleep. Uh, Man. Yeah, it was... Sneaky. Uh, it was smart. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, it was to your own detriment. And you thought it was fun and funny to do that. I'm only now realizing how crazy I drove my brother when we were growing up. He'd get really pissed, and he wouldn't be shy about making sure that I knew that. But I don't recognize that Muhammad anymore. Watching him play with his kids, he's a totally different person now, with all the patience in the world. I want to know when he went from being that guy who'd keep me pinned to the ground with one arm and take it just the same from my dad to where he is now. I needed to start from scratch together with my wife. And luckily, I'm the spender and she's the saver. <laughs> so it's been a lot easier than not, thanks mm -hmm. to her. How that's changed between the point when we were married with no kids and then finding out that we were pregnant, mm -hmm. you know, we went from a mode of, hey, we've been building for all of these years to now we've got to use everything that we've built out to create the right environment. Mm. And now that they're here and have been for 13 months, making sure that they want for nothing. Uh, and it's not just financially in terms of providing, it's, it's also in terms of time in terms of attention mm -hmm. and the environment in and of itself. Yeah, and that includes no screaming around them. Yes, that includes no screaming. Don't use the word no as mm -hmm. an example, because no just becomes a fun game to play. Mm. I, think, I think that's exactly what I did. I was like, no. He's like, ooh, reaction. Yeah. Let's yeah. do it again. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of admire this in theory. 
But his babies are going to be older one day. And they're going to be doing something they really shouldn't be doing. And I'm beginning to wonder exactly how Muhammad is going to handle that. Have you, uh, have you considered discipline yet? Do you know what kind of world you want to raise them in when it comes to discipline? Definitely not the discipline that I grew up with. And, you know, there was, like a lot of people my age, there was uh, physical discipline, there was uh, mental discipline, mm-hmm. and it was effective, I would say. And, and, I, and I don't think, you know, in the modern age it's, it's relevant. I think that, you know, the best discipline is one that is innate and not one that comes from another. Mm. If at any point you need somebody else to physically or verbally push you in one direction or another, that means you just don't know it. And that's not a failure of anything except knowledge, I think. So how would you handle the tricycle in the middle of the street situation? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. But I definitely want them to ride bikes, and I definitely see them one day riding their bikes in an unsafe manner. And I think... I can say how I think I might react, but I don't know if that's actually how I would react until I'm in that scenario. What I, how I'd like to react is um, basically make sure that they know beforehand mm-hmm. so that it never arises. And if and when it does, that they don't have bike privileges for a while. Right. Have you ruled out using violence as a form of discipline? Absolutely. There's no question in my mind. I don't think violence is an effective form of discipline. I don't think fear and ruling through fear in your own household is a useful form of education. Mm. And I think society has evolved to that since our time growing up. And I think it was mostly during your time growing up. You had a very different experience with that type of discipline than I did. I still got beat up. Yeah, but not regularly as we did. Pretty regularly. I have, a, I have also vivid memories of hiding in closets and locking myself in the bathroom. Hmm. Okay, so I stand corrected. Um, Mama has broken a lot of wooden serving spoons on me. Did you deserve it? Not all the time, but sometimes. <laughs> I remember one time, and not to call out Mama because she's the best mom in the world, but uh, yeah, she, she one time slapped me across the face like really really hard where I was holding my face numb uh, because I used my sleeve to wipe my nose how many times did she tell you not to do that before that I was like a little kid come on one million or one million and two so at what point are you allowed uh, should you be slapping the kid in the face see that's that's the difference right so you know it's all about de-escalation not escalation Mm. i think that when you physically discipline your child you're teaching them how to escalate when really the entire world i think needs to teach people how to de-escalate the world would be a much better place so it's sunday and the whole family is over at muhammad's place again for dinner it's ramadan too so we've been fasting all day Muhammad is at the bottom of this pile. His twins are perched up on top of him with these cute smiles. It's kind of perfect. After the babies went to bed, Muhammad and I found this quiet place to talk. I'm still trying to understand at what point Muhammad decided to be like this, that he wasn't going to be like our dad, because it hasn't happened for me yet. How early did you know that you weren't going to try to be the same dad that we had? Was it 
As soon as you grew up, or was it as soon as you had kids? As we were growing up. As we were growing up? Oh, yeah. I think that um, growing up in an area like we did, we were bound and prone to run into that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I've taken uh, steps to make sure that they don't grow up in the same kind of area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Plain and simple, right? Do I think that they're going to get into fights? I hope so. Um, you hope so? <laughs> I hope so, and I hope that they can defend themselves. But um, I don't think that they should ever feel like they need to defend themselves against their father. Survival in the modern world is about being able to, especially with children, um, provide for them and show them that there is a better way, a better path than what you might have gone through. Mm -hmm. um, I got hit like crazy growing up. Do I think that was a positive influence in my life? Uh, no, absolutely not. Did I deserve it? Yeah, mostly. <laughs> but, you know, I think that it'll take a lot for me to reach the point where I would reach out and discipline my children with violence. I can't say I never will. I intend never to. Mm -hmm. But simultaneously, I don't want them to grow up in a culture of fear, a culture of insecurity. I don't know. I just have convinced myself that maybe it's because I come from like that urban background that there's more benefits to that than there might actually be. Maybe just the way that I, I had to contextualize myself in that environment. When I did go to the suburbs, I, I, I know as a teenager, I felt like I had a chip, my, a chip on my shoulder. I felt like I had to act like I was better than them. And one of the ways was, oh, I can, I can fuck you up if I need to. Yeah. You know, um, remember you used to carry a good. giant chain on your on you all the time. Yeah, Mama had to take it away after I used it as a weapon. Yeah, I knew that's exactly why you were carrying it in the first <laughs> place. I mean, look, you know, like I I think that in the stages of maturity, as you get older, um, violence isn't part of what defines uh, a man. It's always much more important to understand where or how to diffuse situations. I spent all this time watching Muhammad, feeling like one day I'll be strong like him. And the fact that he was harsh with me when I was a kid did make me respect him. But what he's showing me with his boys is a different kind of strength, one I guess I don't have yet. But unlike Muhammad, I feel like I'd know exactly how I would handle Adam and Ali riding their bikes on the yellow line of the road exactly how my dad did, using fear. Hey, it stopped Muhammad, and it stopped me from doing a lot of bad stuff too. But talking to him, I'm realizing I might feel differently when I have kids of my own. Now, a big thank you to everyone who's been calling in and writing us emails. Your stories and ideas have been so thoughtful. Here's an email we got after episode one, which is all about fighting. It says... Hey Eamon, as a quadriplegic man, I've struggled with feeling masculine while not being able to fight or play sports or assert any kind of physical dominance. I was raised by a traditionally manly soldier father, so physical toughness was always a theme in my childhood. But after my car accident, I had to find my identity as a straight man somewhere else, and eventually I got into local politics and found a sense of masculinity as a speechwriter and general advisor for some candidates here in Miami. It made me think differently about masculinity. It's not about being the big tough guy who has sex with a lot of women. It's about mental strength. 
and intelligence and taking care of people. I may not be a womanizing prize fighter, but I do feel like a man. Wow. Thanks so much for your letter. This is amazing. Uh, I also grew up with a, a very traditional manly soldier father, the way that you put it. I thought it was good. So I had to spend a lot of time trying to learn different ways to be a man after that because of my association between being strong and tough with being a man. And that didn't really play out that well for me. Uh, I, I felt like I needed to create new connections between being smart and being capable and being responsible with masculinity really late in life. And that did not play to my advantage. So I appreciate your sentiment. I think you're dead on. And it sounds like, to be honest, we all have a lot to learn from your experience. So thank you. Here at Man Up, we love getting emails like this, and we'd love to hear from you too. Do you have thoughts about this week's episode? If you're a parent, how's your parenting style different than how you were raised? Or maybe you had an older brother who was hard on you. Maybe you were that older brother. Share your story by leaving a message at 805-626-8707. That's 805-MAN-UP-07. You can also email us at manup@slate.com, and we might share it on the show. Man Up is hosted and written by me, Eamon Ismail. Our producers are Danielle Hewitt and Cameron Drews. Our executive producers are Jeffrey Bloomer and Loan Liu. Gabriel Roth is the editorial director of Slate Podcasts. June Thomas is the senior managing producer at Slate Podcasts. And TJ Raphael is the senior producer of the Slate Podcast Network. Please leave us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. We'll be back next week with more Man Up.